let me preach this morning, all right? And I'm going to start off to talk, uh, this morning. I'm going to talk about resurrection. That's what I'm going to talk about. Why? Because Easter is coming, all right? And I said that uh, a couple of weeks ago. I said Easter is my favorite, favorite event of the year. All right? I'm more excited about Easter than my birthday. I'm more excited about Easter than Christmas. Thank God for Christmas because the kids think about what to get for me. And birthday, what to get for me. They think of me. Right? But I tell you what, Easter is the most significant thing. Do you know that the church didn't really celebrate Christmas? The early church? But we have evidence that they celebrated the resurrection every week. That is why the shift, the significant shift, and people may not agree with me, but the significant shift happened from Sabbath gatherings, gatherings on the Sabbath day, to the first day gatherings. That significantly happened through the years, especially among the Gentile churches. Right, that Paul ministered to. They started, well, obvious reasons, they couldn't meet in the synagogues because most of them were Gentiles. Right? But there was a significant shift because Sunday became the day to celebrate resurrection. That means every week, their focus was resurrection. It was Resurrection Sunday. And dear friends, that's why it is important for us to hold on to the gathering of God's people. Every Sunday when we gather, we declare resurrection is real. Every Sunday we gather, we celebrate the reality that Christ is risen. Then once a month, uh, once a year, we gather on a Sunday morning and we sing and sing our hearts out that Christ is risen today. It's a powerful thought. It is so powerful. I want to talk to you about this this morning. I've entitled my message. I've been yakking around. I might go longer than 10.30. Please be kind to me. It is the final Sunday. I've entitled my message, Pitiful Christian or Powerful Believer. Which one are you? Are you a pitiful Christian or are you a powerful believer? So let me start with this. Last few months, I've done four, a total of four funerals. You know, it's not, they weren't sad funerals. Every one of them were saints in Christ. Wonderful, powerful saints in Christ. You know, um, and I've, and, well, can I say that? Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed being the celebrant for each of those funeral services because I was able to boast about these saints. They were powerful believers. And all four of them held on to the fact they were going to rise in Christ. You know? Resurrection was a reality for them. And they are walking in it right now. Right? But you know what? Funerals, if you attend funerals, it's a very telling thing about human beings. Why do I say that? You know, when you go to funerals, what do you hear? Do you hear people rattling away how much money they've got in the bank? This was a great man. He has accumulated millions of dollars in his bank. I never, I've, I've done funerals, 35 years of pastoring. I've done many, many funerals. I've never heard once anyone come up here and rattle away the fixed assets that a person has. All right? They leave it to the lawyer 
to tell the children. Some will cry, some will laugh. <laughs> My children, they know. They are already crying. There is nothing. <laughs> they don't want my car. They got better cars. But funerals very telling thing. All right. Um, I've held hands with people in the last few days of their life. I've never heard any of them boast about their riches. But what they would say all the time, and you hear this even at funeral services, they always talk about how much love this person shared with them, how much they experienced their love for them. It was always relationships, always people, right? So I want to ask you, what would your last words on earth be? If I was coming and holding your hand, may it never be, may you hold my hand, but if I was holding your hand and this was your last day on earth, what would your final words be? Reality is, what you believe about death is driving how you're living your life today. What you believe about death is driving you how you're living your life today. Because there are two choices about your belief systems about death. One is, no such thing as life after death. Once you die, you're buried, and you just become um, food for the soil. For, you, you, just, you, know, you just waste away. Worms have you for feed, all right? People who believe this still talk on funeral days about the legacy that that person has left. What's the point of a legacy if there's no life after death? What's the point of leaving something to somebody whose eternal purpose in life is going to end in a box? I cannot see that. You see, people believe something, speak something else. They talk about legacies, all right? But really, if you say you don't believe in life after death, what are we talking about? There's purposelessness. There is no purpose on earth if all I have is 70 years of living. Second choice, there is life after death. And do you know that most people on earth believe there's life after death? Because majority of people hold on to a religion. And every religion on planet Earth believes in life after death. The Hindus, for instance, they believe in reincarnation. And so they believe your present life is due to how you lived your past life. That's your karma, right? And your karma is what you're experiencing right now. And so you're spending the karma you accumulated in your past life. So what you need to do now is, Invest in your karma for your next life. You better live your life properly now. Otherwise, you're going to be, why am I in poverty? I'm in poverty because of my karma, how I lived my life the last life, right? So if I want to be a rich man like the guy next door, I better live my life properly so that my next life, I'm going to be like him. And probably, hopefully, he'll be in this house, I'll be in his house, all right? That's, I know I'm simplifying the whole thing. But that's basically the belief system, all right, that drives a Hindu. The Buddhists, they believe in this cycle as well, but they want to get out of this unending futile cycle. And so what the Buddhists believe is that if you, so the goal is to reach nirvana, all right? So you get there by detaching yourself 
from everything. You detach yourself from all earthly desires. You detach yourself from all negative emotions. You detach yourself from grandiose illusions of life. The moment you detach yourself from this world, right, you lose the fuel that will fire you up for the next cycle. And so you don't reach the next cycle because you have detached yourself from this earth and you finally reach the place of rest, which they call nirvana. Again, I'm simplifying. The Muslims believe in paradise. And you reach it by tipping the scale of good and evil. Your good deeds cancel out your evil deeds. So, and that's why you find among, if you've lived in Muslim nations, you'll find the most pious people are the older generation. The moment they start getting older, they start thinking about balancing up that scale, right? And so they become pious. They begin to follow religious practices more so than a young man who's still sowing his oats, all right? So, funny thing about Christianity, we believe in the afterlife, but I think sometimes we have a little bit of all these beliefs. If I live a good life, maybe God will, when I see him, he'll cancel out all my bad deeds, all right? Oh, that sounds familiar. Or maybe if I just live a good life here, I might gather enough um, so that my house there will be bigger. That sounds familiar, right? But what does the Bible tell us about resurrection, right? What does the Bible tell us about life after death? I, Paul is here. We could do what? Um, Craig is here. We could do, Arthur, how, how, many, how many weeks we could take just teaching on resurrection? Just that one topic, you know? It's just unending, right? But this is it, though. We do believe one thing, that there is life after death. We believe that, right? If you're a Christian, you believe that there is life after death, right? But we don't spend too long thinking about it. That's a funny thing about Christianity, uh, being a Christian. We don't think about life after death. We think about what's going on right now, right? And we focus so much on what's going on right now. When was the last time you thought about life after death? This week. Did you think about life after death this week? I tell you when we think of life after death, when we have a near miss. We nearly died. Right? Um, but you know what? Life after death is eternal. That means it's forever. You know how long forever is? Forever. Ever. 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 Long. Forever. We plan some things that have very short-term consequences, right? I'm going to get in trouble with my young children. Young people plan a date longer than they think about life after death. They spend more time planning a date. What to wear in this date? What are we going to say in this date, right? Um, these young people spend more time on their dates, thinking about their dates, than they're thinking about life after. I'm not going to spare old people. We who are getting older, right, 
I'm going to be 57. We who are getting older spend so much of time planning for our life, our retirement life. Some of you are already in that plan, executing that plan. All right? You are, we plan so much about our retirement life, which is actually very much shorter than eternal life. So you think about this. Now somebody did some maths here. So listen to how much time you spend on earth. If you live for 79 years, right, this is how much time you'll be spending. You will sleep for 33 of those years. <laughs> That's mind-boggling. You live for 79 years. 33 of those years you are sleeping. That's a lot, isn't it? But you think about it. Seven hours a day maybe, all right? or six to seven hours a day, you calculate that for 79 years, right? It's an equivalent of 33 years of your life. I'm assuming it, it must be right because I got it from Google. And then out of that 79 years, you would have accumulated and worked for 13 of those years, right? You'd have watched TV or looked at your computer or devices for 11 of those years. For some of you more, Eating would have taken four years of your life, for some of us more. Holidaying, three years of your life. Exercising, one and a half years of your life, for some of us less. Socializing, about two years. And then other little things, you know, you give it eight to ten years. Now, my question is this. How much of that time contributes to thinking about life after death? How much of that time contributes to investing in your life after death? Do you ask yourself that question? You should. You should ask yourself every day, how much of this day I've invested in eternity? Every day when you wake up in the morning, you should be asking this question. How much of today am I going to invest in eternal life? Because you're going to spend much longer than a hundred years. If you live a hundred years, God help me, please let me not live for a hundred years. But if you live for a hundred years, all right, you will, it's still a dot compared to eternity. So my question again, how much of your life are you spending, investing in eternity? Why must you ask this question? Because you call yourself a Christian. That means you believe in the resurrection. That means you believe after you die, you will be resurrected. And that means you believe when you are resurrected, you would be resurrected with Christ. Right? So why is that important? I'm glad you asked. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 to 20. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 20. But tell me this. Right? 1 Corinthians 15, 12. I'm, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. But tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead... Why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? 
For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. And your faith is useless. And we apostles will all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. I'll repeat what he says. If our hope in Christ is only for this life, then we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Paul, in this letter to the Corinthian church, he spent about two and a half, uh, sorry, 18 months with this church, preached the gospel, saved souls, discipled them, trained leaders. 18 months, longest probably in any other uh, city or town that he spent, right? So when he heard there were problems going on in this church, he writes this letter to them, and he covers a lot of issues, all right? Uh, of behavior issues, of uh, belief issues. And then finally, in chapter 15, as he brings the letter to a close, he talks about resurrection. And really, if you look at that letter, as he deals with all the issues, it sounds like he's dealing with all the symptoms first, and then he goes to the root issue. You know why your behavior is this way? You know why there's disunity in the church? You know why you are you're fighting about spiritual gifts? You know why all these things? Because you are living a temporal life in a temporal world without any idea that you will rise from the dead and you will live eternally with eternity. You are not living with eternity in mind. That's why you are facing these issues in the church. And that's why the church is impotent. That's basically what he's saying. All right? I don't think I'll get into trouble with Paul by saying that this was his focus as he tries to round up his teaching to the church in Corinth. He's saying, the church is of no use if there is no such thing as resurrection. If we don't believe in resurrection, if you believe in all the other doctrines of the church, but you do not believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it is a useless belief system. We are to be pitied if Christ didn't rise from the dead and you and I are not going to rise from the dead. We are the most pitiful human beings believing in a most pitiful belief system. No resurrection? Paul says if there's no resurrection, our faith is useless. Sorry, let me go back to this. If there's no res first thing he says, no resurrection, then Christ has not been raised either. So he's saying if you don't believe in resurrection, that means Jesus Christ wasn't raised from the dead. Right? And if you don't believe Jesus Christ was, didn't rise from the dead, then he is just a good man 
who did some good things, said some good things, died, and fodder for the worms. That's it. If there's no resurrection, then Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. If there's no resurrection, then our preaching is useless. For 2,000 years, we've been preaching Christ, the resurrected one. If there's no resurrection, we have wasted our time, right? In fact, Paul goes on to prove that Jesus rose from the dead by telling them Peter saw him physically after resurrection. The disciples saw him physically. The, James, the brother of Jesus, saw him physically. 500 people, and he says, they are still living. You go talk to them, they are still living. They saw Jesus physically in his resurrected body. Then he says, last but not least, I saw him in his resurrected body. So he says, if Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead, we are all liars. I want to read to you what, how much Paul centered on resurrection. Right? Ephesians 1, 19 to 22. Ephesians 1, 19 to 22. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. Think about this. This is the power of God, right? The incredible greatness of the power of God for us who believe. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler, far above any authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. In other words, Paul is saying, Christ died for the benefit of the church. Christ rose again for the benefit of the church. And what's that benefit? That that same power that was manifested and evidenced in raising Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power you and I, the church of God, has at our fingertips. Forget about resurrection. Forget about the power of Christ. Forget about the power of Christ. The church is nothing more than a lion's club. Just do some good things while we are around before the worms get us. No resurrection? Paul says if there's no resurrection, our faith is useless. Everything we do as believers, praying for the sick, why bother? We're all food for the worms anyway. Pray for Ukraine. Why bother? There is no power in this God we believe. Why bother doing what we do? Why bother gathering? Why bother take, breaking bread? Communion. Forget about all these things that the church does. All right? Our faith is useless if there is no resurrection. No resurrection? He says, now he's start getting personal. It still doesn't bother you? No resurrection, you have no forgiveness of sin. I don't know about you, I am a big sinner. I suspect, because I've mingled with you a little, you're a big sinner too. 
if not for the blood of Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, we will never, ever experience the forgiveness of sins. But because of Christ, because he is risen, we can guarantee that all our sins, past, present, and future, are covered by the blood of Jesus, and he has forgiven all our sins. And the significant part of that is also, because I have experienced forgiveness of sins, I have now the empowered enablement to forgive others and let them experience forgiveness as well. No resurrection, no forgiveness of sins. And then he says, no resurrection, we are the most pitied of all human beings. Because if this is the life we live, this 80 years, this 90 years, whatever age, all right, if I die tomorrow, if that's it, what a pitiful thing. It's pitiful because most of my adult life I've spent doing this. From the age of 22, I turned 57. 35 years of my life I spent preaching this gospel. I feel sad and sorry for myself if there is no resurrection. You should be for yourself too if there's no resurrection. It's the biggest lie that has been carried on for 2,000 years. Want to talk about a conspiracy? That would be a conspiracy. <laughs> but you know what Paul says? The fact is, Christ has risen from the dead. That's the fact. That is the fact. Right? And so, fact. Christ was raised from the dead. Peter saw him. The apostles saw him. James saw him. 500 others saw him. I saw him. I want to ask you, have you seen him? I'm not talking about physically. But somewhere down the line in all your years of living, have you encountered Jesus that you know that this Jesus is alive? If you haven't experienced it, my dear friends, then you better experience it. Go on your knees tonight and say, Jesus, I've never experienced you um, personally in my life. And I have to, because if I don't experience you, Lord, there's no way I truly believe that you are resurrected. And then the chain of events will happen if you don't believe he's resurrected, everything falls apart. I can point to you, 13 years of age, I can point to you every emotion that happened to me when I experienced the living Christ embracing me and the love overflowing in my life. I cannot doubt that he is alive. And I want to say this to you. You must encounter him to the point that you can say yourself, I cannot doubt Jesus Christ is alive. And you should be able to say, Peter saw him. The disciples saw him. 500 others saw him. Paul saw him. And you know what? Least of all, I experienced this living Christ. Fact. Because Jesus rose from the dead, our sins are forgiven. I have done some stuff that I 
which I never done. I don't know some stuff that I did that I wish, I, I think others wish I had never done. But I tell you something, forgiveness is real. I wake up every morning and I sense the cleansing power of Jesus Christ. I'm able to ask for forgiveness immediately if I sense I've wronged. And I'm able to release forgiveness when somebody has wronged me. I am no better than any one of you who has experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life. Because when you experience Jesus, you experience his forgiveness. Fact. Resurrection is real. You and I, don't, I tell my children, don't cry for me in, when I'm in the box. Right? You're wasting your time because I'm not crying for you. I'm too busy, exposed to everything I'm seeing, right, in heaven that I've, I might even forget that I have children. I don't know. Just cremate me, have a little box by the side, sing a few songs, say goodbye, go and drop me in some river, you know, the most convenient one, and then go about living your life for Jesus, right? Because all believers can expect to be resurrected. Fact, because resurrection is real, life after death, which is eternal, has more value than the short life you and I live on earth. I don't care how old you are or I am when I die. The fact is, this life is so short compared to eternity. If that's the reality, then listen to Paul when he talks about that one day that is going to come for all of us. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong, be immovable, always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. That's how he summarizes 1 Corinthians 15. He talks about resurrection, proves resurrection, gives evidence about resurrection, gives, tells you how really practically resurrection happens. Then he summarizes with this, nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. If you want to invest in life after death, my suggestion is do something for God every moment of your day. Whether it's washing your plates, whether it's saying hi to a loved one, whether it's giving counsel to your, that youth that you're trying to raise who doesn't want you to raise him. You know that youth I'm talking about. I was that youth. Whatever you're doing, do it for the Lord, moment by moment. Paul, Paul says this in, earlier in chapter 3 of the same letter. No one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, 
hay or straw, but on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. He was talking about those who are building um, in the church. He was talking about his fellow teachers and fellow preachers. But it's the same principle for every one of us. You and I are building a life. You and I are building a family. You and I are building life wherever we are. Let me tell you something. Every day, the things you choose to say, the things you choose to do, the things you choose to think of, every single one of it is either gold, silver, or jewels, or wood, hay, and straw. If you end up in all your life on earth, and all you're producing is wood, hay, or straw, in other words, things that have no value to God's kingdom, end of the day, fire will burn through you. And all you have is just yourself with nothing to show for the 70, 80 years of life on planet Earth. But if every day, moment by moment, you're thinking, how can I invest in eternal life? And you're thinking of everything you say and do. Does it have God in it? Does it bring God in it? Whether I'm doing the most menial labor work from nine to five, how can I do something that will shift someone's trajectory towards God? That will shift someone's experience that there is good on planet Earth. Something that you do may end up turning to be gold or silver or jewels in eternity. Nothing you do for God is ever useless. So let me close with this. I ask you again this question. I know it's a bit of a hard question. right? Hard message maybe this morning. But I think it's an important message as we approach Easter. How are you going to live these remaining years of your life? Friends, we've come out of COVID. Some say maybe for now. I want to believe this is it. I want to believe that we're going to move forward. But if we go back to same old, same old, pity you and me. Let's take advantage of what we have experienced these last two years when things have been stripped off us for two years. Let's take advantage of that now. And let's spend the Easter week in prayer, in reflection, and that's why I'm calling the church, right? Tuesday, the leadership is going to meet here. And we're going to strip ourselves of all worldliness and ask the Lord, how do we serve him through, through the church? Then I'm calling the church on Wednesday and Thursday. Would you spare an hour of your life on planet Earth? Come at 7.30 here at 3.40. This is... Um, that's the Easter week, all right? That Easter week. Wednesday, which um, main, mainline churches will call Ash Wednesday, all right? Come, gather here, 7.30 to 8.30. We'll reflect, we'll worship, we'll pray together and take account of our lives and make it count for eternity. Come again on Thursday night, 
and then come on Good Friday. Right? Those of you who can. And then Easter Sunday, put aside everything you got to do. And this Easter, let's not celebrate. Look, I'm okay with chocolate eggs. If you don't like it, pass it to me. I'll eat the bunny, I'll eat the egg, I'll eat everything. Just pass it to me. But let's focus on what Easter is. It happened. Christ rose from the dead. And we have become a powerful force on earth. And history will record that the church changed history because of one man lived, died, and rose again and ascended on high. What would your last words be when you leave earth? This was Paul's last words. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've remained faithful. Now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. He's not talking about big house. He is really using the metaphor of an athlete. And this was constantly the metaphor he, re, re, he evokes, right? The athlete. He was so consumed by this concept of an athlete and how disciplined an athlete is that his focus is on the prize. Think of an Olympian. What is their focus? Focus is on the gold. That's all. They don't focus on a silver. They don't focus on, on just, hey, everybody's participating. I just want to participate in the Olympics. No, they live for that one prize, gold in the Olympics. And every day, the choices they make is for that one prize, three years coming when Olympics is going to be there. Right? They watch what they eat. They watch what they do. They watch all, everything they do and say throughout those three years to prepare for one thing and one thing only, the gold in the Olympics. And this is what Paul is saying. My life I've lived, I've lived with this one goal. I will be resurrected. And when I'm resurrected, I will be crowned. What's your goal? Is your goal up to ending up in a box? Or does your goal, your goal go further than that? What would your last words be on earth? Will you be a pitiful Christian or a powerful believer? May you be a powerful believer. Mm -hmm.